You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open Holy Scripture and read from God's Word from the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 1. We will read chapter 1, verses 1 through 19, and then pick it up again at verse 44. The Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting in the desert of Sinai on the first day of the second month of the second year after the Israelites came out of Egypt. He said, take a census of the whole Israelite community by their clans and families, listing every man by name, one by one. You and Aaron are to number by their divisions all the men in Israel, 20 years old or more, who are able to serve in the army. One man from each tribe, each the head of his family, is to help you. These are the names of the men who are to assist you. From Reuben, Eliezer, son of Shadur. From Simeon, Shalumiel, son of Zurishaddai. From Judah, Nashon, son of Aminadab. From Issachar, Nethanel, the son of Zuar. From Zebulun, Eliab, son of Helon. From the sons of Joseph, from Ephraim, Elishama, son of Amihud. From Manasseh, Gamaliel, son of Pedazur. From Benjamin, Abidan, son of Gideoni. From Dan, Ahiezer, son of Amishadai. From Asher, Pagiel, son of Okran. From Gad, Eliasaph, son of Duel. From Naphtali, Ahira, son of Enan. These were the men appointed from the community, the leaders of their ancestral tribes. They were the heads of the clans of Israel. Moses and Aaron took these men whose names had been given, and they called the whole community together on the first day of the second month. The people indicated their ancestry by their clans and families, and the men 20 years old or more were listed by name, one by one as the Lord commanded Moses. And so he counted them in the desert of Sinai. Then we go to verse 44, after the numbering of all the men. These were the men counted by Moses and Aaron and the twelve leaders of Israel, each one representing his family, all the Israelites, twenty years old or more, who were able to serve in Israel's army, were counted according to their families. The total number was 603,550. The families of the tribe of Levi, however, were not counted along with the others. The Lord had said to Moses, you must not count the tribe of Levi or include them in the census of the other Israelites. Instead, appoint the Levites to be in charge of the tabernacle of the testimony over all its furnishings and everything belonging to it. They are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They are to take care of it and encamp around it. When the tabernacle is to move, the Levites are to take it down. And whenever the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall do it. Anyone else who goes near it shall be put to death. The Israelites are to set up their tents by divisions, each man in his own camp under his own standard, 
The Levites, however, are to set up their tents around the tabernacle of the testimony so that wrath will not fall on the Israelite community. The Levites are to be responsible for the care of the tabernacle of the testimony. The Israelites did all this just as the Lord commanded Moses. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we did not read all the numbers in Numbers chapter 1, but it's pretty clear why this Bible book is known as the book of Numbers. The first two chapters and the third and the fourth chapter to an extent are full of numbers, the numbers of the tribes of Israel. The Hebrew name for this Bible book is not Numbers. The Hebrew name for the book comes from the first words of the book, and the Hebrew name translates in the wilderness or in the desert. You can see those words there in Numbers chapter, in Numbers 1 verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses in the desert of Sinai. In the desert, that would be the Hebrew name for the book which is also what the book is is about. Israel's desert journey from Mount Sinai to the border of the land of Canaan, the inheritance which God promised to his people. Now, the actual journey from Sinai to Canaan doesn't begin until chapter 10 of the book of Numbers, but chapters 1 through 10 are about the preparations for the journey. And we learn from Numbers 1, verse 1, that the events recorded here begin not all that long after the exodus from Egypt. It was only the beginning of the second year after the Israelites had come out of Egypt, the land of slavery. Israel, at this time, the time of the text, Israel is still camped at Mount Sinai, and the tabernacle construction had just been completed. And now the Lord spoke to Moses, take a census of the whole Israelite community, a census counting and listing the number of the sons of Israel. We want to listen to the message in this under the following theme, the Lord numbers his people. We will see first the tribes and the Lord's army, and secondly, the Levites and the Lord's tent. The Lord said, take a census of the people, more specifically count the number of the males 20 years old and over, those who would go out to war, those who are able to serve in the army. You and Aaron shall number them, you shall muster them by their divisions, by their armies, verse 3. The numbering was for a specific purpose. It wasn't just counting, not just counting, not just to see who's all there. It's not just to have a nice long list of names. It was more like assembling an army, Israel being set up as an army. The Lord's people set up as an army in orderly array. In Numbers 2, the Lord's instructions regarding this army go on to include how and where each tribe is to set up camp, and then in which order each tribe is to set out on the march. It's a whole military exercise. 
The exodus from Egypt was not to set a people free to go on each to do his and her own thing. It wasn't the Lord's intention to have a people delivered from slavery only to go ahead and fragment and wander aimlessly in desert places. The Lord has redeemed a people in Jesus Christ, not to leave us to ourselves or to leave us prey to another slavery or to desert wandering. The Lord brought his people to himself at Mount Sinai to, to bind himself to his people and to bind them to him. He brought a people up to himself in Moses on Mount Sinai. And the Lord came down to be with his people in the tabernacle. It was the Lord's kingdom with and for his people. And from there, from Sinai, the Lord set his people up as an army well ordered by divisions under division leaders to go on from Sinai to go on to the promised land, to take possession of the land, to conquer. Israel was to take possession of the land by war and by conquest. Israel was called to be the Lord's arm in executing his wrath against the Canaanites, whose measure of sin had now become full, as the Lord had said long ago to Abraham. So a march from Sinai to Canaan to take Canaan for the Lord, for his kingdom and for his kingdom heirs. And from Sinai to Canaan, through the wilderness, the people of Israel were, were set up like a mini kingdom on the move, very orderly and in military array. Now we know that the Lord God did not need an army to deliver his people from Egypt. The Lord very clearly performed many wonders in the land of Egypt all by himself. And the Lord himself defeated Pharaoh's army at the Red Sea. The Lord did it, not Israel. We also know that when Israel did come to the land of Canaan, the Lord did not need an army to conquer Canaan. The Lord did not need an army to conquer Jericho. The army marched around Jericho, but the Lord caused the walls to collapse without weapons, apart from the army's effort? Today, the Lord does not need an army to defeat the evil one, the spiritual forces of wickedness. The Lord has done it all by himself in his son Jesus Christ on the cross. And today, the Spirit of God sovereignly conquers the word of Christ goes out as the Lord sovereignly determines. And the Lord by himself conquers hearts. And when the end of this world kingdom comes, it will be all God's doing, all Christ's work. So then the question is, why an army? Well, not because the Lord needs our strength and our effort to defeat the enemy. 
but because we must be found on the Lord's side in the coming of his kingdom. And being on the Lord's side means being taken up in his war against the kingdom of darkness. There are no neutral places. There is no neutral stance. And there are no neutral people. Because because war is what the Lord is busy with, and we belong to Him, we are found necessarily to be His army in and with Jesus Christ. Soon after Egypt, very soon after Egypt, where the Lord showed He did not need an army for victory, He nevertheless called an army together to work out and to join in His victory. It is a crucial part of God's plan and work to have a people for himself, a people after his own heart. And a people after his own heart are a people on his side who are ready to take a stand and to fight, even as he has taken a stand and fought and won a great victory over sin and the evil one. So if it's the Lord's kingdom we are aiming for, and it is, this is what it means necessarily for us in Jesus Christ. The Lord comes with his command. The commander issues his decree. And Moses and Aaron and the people must respond. And says verse 19 and again verse 54, as the Lord commanded, so they did. There is no choice. This is not a volunteer army. This is an enrolled army with compulsory service, taken up in the Lord's service on the way to Canaan, defending, fighting, standing firm, and then finally entering into the kingdom of glory, which the Lord himself has obtained with his son's own blood by God's victorious right hand. We might remember, looking forward in Scripture, we might remember that Joshua was later given a vivid reminder of this sort of thing just before the conquest of Jericho. Joshua chapter 5 in Scripture, we read there that the commander of the army of the Lord appeared to Joshua at night. And then Joshua asked him, Are you for us or for our enemies? And and the man gave a curious answer. He said, no, no. Which is to say, that's the wrong question. Are you for us or for our enemies? No. The man answered, I am the captain of the army of the Lord. That is, the Lord himself is here to execute his wrath against the Canaanites. This is God's war. And at this crucial moment, the question must be the other way around. The question must be to Joshua and Israel, are you for the Lord or against? And then Joshua had to show his stance, his position, his loyalty, taking off the sandals from his feet because the place where he stood was holy ground. The Lord is first. The Lord is at war. It's His war. It's His holy cause. 
And we are taken up in his fight for the coming of his kingdom. And an army, being the Lord's army, means necessarily defending and and fighting and standing one's ground. The sorts of things that armies do. Today, the enemy, though defeated, has not stopped attacking. And we are not released from duties until we have come to the eternal rest. The numbering of the fighting men of Israel has a lower age limit, but not an upper age limit. Twenty years old and over, the age of maturity and responsibility and ability. Twenty and up, no retirement age mentioned for the Lord's army. Not in the cause against the kingdom of darkness. And then there is the section towards the end of the chapter about the Levites, the Levites and the Lord's tent. The Levites were not counted, that is, they were not counted for military service. They were counted, we would find out in chapter 3, but they were not supposed to be counted with the Lord's army. The Lord had a very specific task for the Levites. The Levites were in charge of the tabernacle and everything belonging to the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the Lord's dwelling place, just a tent really, beautiful tent, but just constructed at Mount Sinai, just finished. It would be the Lord's place with His people during the desert wanderings to Sinai, to the land of Canaan. The Lord says, you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony. The Levites are to be over all its furnishings and all over all that belongs to the tabernacle. The Lord spells it out a little bit further. The Levites would carry the tabernacle and its furnishings. The Levites would set up the tabernacle and take down the tabernacle. And the Levites would camp around the tabernacle when the people were stopped and camped in any place. More specific responsibilities of the Levites and then according to their divisions, the place where they were supposed to camp is spelled out in the next chapters. But generally, from chapter 1, we, we read that the Levites were the ones who stayed close to the tabernacle. That's literally what they had to do. Stay close to the tabernacle all the time. So that no one else could get close to the tabernacle. Anyone else who comes close to the tabernacle must be put to death. Now, we might want to imagine this in terms of of an army, a regular army. Whatever the army has or whoever the army has that is most important, that is central, that is key to the army's success, needs protection in a, in a special way. You give that something or that someone a special place, And then you give extra security. Then the Levites would function as a sort of special guard for the important place and the important one in Israel. Protect the tabernacle 
protect the Ark of the Covenant, the throne of God. Makes sense from a military point of view. Kind of a security detail for central command. Except for one thing. The Levites were there not for the protection of the tabernacle or the ark. The Levites were there to protect the people from the tabernacle and the ark. If anyone gets too close, the wrath of God would strike Israel. See, this is the army of the living God, the Holy One, who has come to dwell with a sinful people. On the one hand, he cannot dwell there because of sin. On the other hand, he has graciously chosen to dwell there for blessing. But then, on very specific terms, he is and remains the Holy One. He is present, yet separated from the common, from the sinful, from the unclean. And Israel had to be constantly aware and take precautions. Take precautions through the presence and the service of the Levites. Yes, the presence of God with his people is the guarantee of the victory of his army. And yet, the presence of God with his people is also the greatest danger for the army if the right precautions aren't taken. And the Lord, in this passage, we see the Lord gives the precautions that must be taken. He gives the Levites and their service to protect his people from his wrath. It's all the more important because Israel is an army. The army would come into contact with the nations and with death. That's what war means. Contact with the nations and contact with death. Which we know from other places in scripture means uncleanness. Sin and death do not have a place with God. Sin and death is what God's army would be contaminated with constantly. To be contaminated like that and to still necessarily live in the presence of the Lord God, for Him to dwell constantly in the presence of a contaminated people is dangerous. Not dangerous for God, but for His people. The Levites are the Lord's gift. A gift from the Lord to separate a tribe to serve as a buffer between His holy presence and His often contaminated army. The Levites will make covenant existence possible, will make covenant blessing constant, will make victory assured. One tribe not going out to war, but separated for the holy place. At the same time, one tribe which has 
a life in common with the people. So one tribe out of the many tribes set apart for the other tribes. It is significant that God's first military order has to do not with the danger of enemies. The first military command is, Israel, watch out for the danger right in the middle of your camp. Observe the tabernacle rules. Observe the holiness boundaries. Do not transgress. As the Lord's army then, Israel's first line of service is at God's throne, not on the battlefield. More than a military army, Israel is to be a God-fearing army. If that is not in place, all things military will be meaningless, will collapse, will fall to pieces. Everything else is irrelevant if this is not relevant. God's people will be irrelevant among the nations if throne service is not observed carefully. What happens with respect to the center of the camp determines how things will go on the outer edges where Israel meets the nations for battle. Joshua had to take his shoes off before he had to strap his sword on. That's the very same principle. The Lord gave the Levites, one from the tribes for the tribes, so that his army could count on his presence for victory, for blessing. When setting out, when setting up, when in camp, a constant buffer around the tabernacle, lest the fire of God's wrath consume his own people. When his people observed this carefully, the fire of God's wrath would spare his people and reach through his people to the enemies, giving Israel victory. He is the same God who dwells in our midst today. He is still a consuming fire, the Holy One. And we are still not free from the sin that deserves consuming fire. How can the Lord God continue among us and with us and for us? Because He has given the buffer to us. One from among us set apart for us at His throne. The Lord Jesus Christ our mediator, and his spirit who sanctifies us for his presence. And how much more excellent the work of Christ to enable the spirit of God to dwell in us right here. 
we are still in the place where we have our own sinfulness with us. And we are fighting on the outer edges of the camp wherever we go in the world. This all makes us not eligible for the presence of the Lord God, the Holy One. We still have far more to worry about from Him who dwells here than from any enemies around us. God-fearing is still the first order of business for the Lord's army. The fight against sin and Satan and the whole kingdom of darkness is a losing proposition if we do not take care of the order of business inside the camp where the throne of God is. The Lord God gives us His Word in Christ to bring us His presence and to bring us into His presence by the Spirit. But we must observe His Word concerning Christ and His work for our sin. When it's time to set out or set up camp, In other words, all our coming and going as God's people. It is only our observing the word of God in Christ, the word of the Spirit, that makes it possible for us to count on His presence for blessing and not for wrath. The Lord gave His people, the Lord gives us the winning formula in Numbers 1. A God-fearing army has victory in its very midst if God-fearing is first and everything. This is called the book of Numbers because of all these numbers at the beginning of the Bible book. There are more numbers in this book than just at the beginning. There are numbers, again, In chapter 26, numbers all over again. They are the numbers of the next generation of Israel. This numbered generation at the beginning of the book was replaced by another generation. What should have been a short trip of sure victory into the promised land became a disaster 40 years long. Victory dwelled in the midst of the camp of Israel and a whole generation of Israel could not, would not enjoy it because of not being God-fearing. Instead of faith and trust, there was unbelief. Instead of obedience and service, There was rebellion and grumbling. It ends in chapter 25 with with blatant idolatry, which is the opposite of God-fearing. The numbers of Numbers 1 had to be rewritten by another generation. God's victory was still sure. God's victory doesn't change. But the participation of his people was forfeited by a whole generation 
that died in the wilderness. May we pay heed. The victory of God's kingdom is in our midst. God dwells here, not in a protected tent, but in our hearts. We must be only God-fearing. Trust Him. Obey Him who dwells here. Reverence Him by observing His Word. His Word among us. The Gospel of Christ for sinners. And so, observing the Gospel of Christ for sinners, we may march on to Zion to victory which is assured, to the glorious inheritance which is only waiting. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.